Welcome back to the next episode of the award-winning, highly popular, much-talked-about North and Gold podcast. I am Jake Johnson, known on Twitter as Salt Lake Jake, and with me as always is the ever-impressive co-host of mine. I'm still pretty impressionable, too. My name is Benji, <laughs> and, you know, Benji, I was, it, it kind of has a little kid vibe to it, so I'm, I'm pretty impressionable. You watch your language around me, Jake. Uh, yeah, I am Alaskutan on Twitter, Ellis McPickle, uh, broadcasting from North Pole, Alaska, where we have had surprisingly high temperatures this week. It was above freezing yesterday, which is so hey. bizarre. It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel natural up here. It's like, it's wrong. It feels like summer. How did it feel? Did it feel like did it feel nice and springy? Yeah, it, it like like wrong. Like I stepped out on my front porch last night because I quite often this time of year I'll do a, a like end of the day aurora check. I'll just go step out on my front porch and look up in the sky and see. All right, are there clouds? Is there aurora? How active is the aurora? Just I mean I've been here six years, but it's still just so fascinating to me to just step out and be like, whoa, holy cow! Look at the sky. There's green streaks flying everywhere. So. Stepped out on the front porch, looked up at the air, and, and just it felt it was like the air on my arms. It was just wrong because inside is warm. You know, you have your normal inside temperatures. Outside is supposed to be frigid, like you automatically get your goosebumps and everything. You start shivering and all that. And just being outside and being like the air is clean and fresh but not cold, it just was wrong. It felt off. Huh. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you: Have you have you seen? Maybe my memory is just misleading me or something, but I remember the Aurora Borealis taking a pink hue on it too. Did you ever see the pink? Pink Aurora, or is it mostly green? It, it can't pink, pink. I don't know about because there's a science behind it. It all has to do with which particles are reacting with the the solar wind, you know, the solar radiation. And so green is the most common, and I believe it's because nitrogen is the most common at that layer of the atmosphere. And so when it excites an electron from a nitrogen particle, when the electron bounces back to its regular orbital, those of you who are chemistry nerds and study chemistry, that's when it actually releases the energy that we see as visible light. And I, I think the green corresponds with nitrogen. I could be mistaken on that. Oxygen, I think, is the next one that's sort of a red. Purple, I've seen quite a bit, is really cool. And they're they're typically, because when you get to those outer layers of the atmosphere, you have uh, like different weights on the different atoms that are up there. And so they typically will be in, in the same order. Like purple will usually happen higher in the sky than the green. And so when I'm going through my photographs and looking, a lot of times the purple blends in with the darkness so well with, with my natural eyes, I don't really notice until I'm going through the photos and I'm like, holy cow, look at all these purples. And so there's a lot of a uh, green and then some green kind of yellowish green, uh, a lot of reds, a lot of purples. Uh, that are a little okay, more rare, red, and and sometimes white, but but pink. Yeah, I, I not remember so the much. red and white. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's the red in my memories. You're saying I remember one time sitting on my driveway in Juneau, Alaska, um, with my friend whose name was also Benjamin. Oddly yeah. enough. But he went by Jamin. He didn't go by Benji. So you guys like split the name. <laughs> Even Benji, he went by Jamin. Anyway, so me and Jamin were sitting out on my on my driveway, and it was like the red and white was just dancing around, and it was the most breathtaking. You can't, dude. Picture your pictures are awesome. I'll give you that. But you cannot 
do justice just by looking at pictures. To see it in action and to see it live is just like breathtaking. I remember that. I have it seared in my memory. 17 years old, sitting on my driveway, looking up at the red and white, just dancing. And it was so freaking cool. I do miss that, man. And it, what I'm excited about is the newer modern cameras are getting better and better at, at being able to capture the video of it. And it's if I had like twenty, thirty thousand dollars to drop on a camera, I mean, I would love that. I would film it in a way that would bring it to life for people. But you're right, the it's it's tough. Like you pull out your phone and record it, and then you look at your phone and you're like, that's nothing. That's not it. Nothing. That just doesn't compare. But when you're underneath yeah. the whole sky and the, and the curtains are dancing right above you, yes. It, it's crazy. That's it. it it's like the, the, the people see the pictures that don't know this just think maybe it's just the color of the sky. No, these colors are like weaving around and dancing and it's so cool. I remember yeah, the, the first time I tried to photograph the Aurora, my wife had an old camera that her cousin gave her. I mean, old camera, like it was broken. You had to fiddle with it. And so I was just barely, I was experimenting basically. I didn't know how to really work a camera, but I thought, okay, I Googled the settings. Let's try this. Let's try that. And the battery died after like 20 minutes. And so I actually did get a few cool shots from that night. It was kind of my beginning budding stages in Aurora photography. But after the camera died, I was already out in my kayak on this lake and it was this crazy active night so because it was a weekend a lot of people were out and there was this moment i was in the middle of the lake with a kayak and the whole sky lit up and you could hear people all around like on the shore like it's dark enough i couldn't see anybody but then the sky comes to life and everybody from every direction like out of the the bushes and the trees are like ooh ah whoa wow kind of like fireworks huh yeah yeah watching fire hit Dude, that kind of gave me some chills. Oh, well, welcome was, to our science cool. yeah. podcast, man. <laughs> science with Jacob and Benjamin, right? Yes. So, no. uh, hey, let's. Do, I'm looking at your shirt right now. Visual for our, our listeners. It is blue and white. It is royal blue and white. And it says, any team, anytime, anywhere. And boy, is that the topic these days, isn't it? <laughs> it is. There's a cool thing about this shirt. And I was so excited when this showed up in the mail last night. I was looked at it and I was like, I am wearing that for the podcast because, man, I want to talk about it. The cool thing about this shirt, Royal Army brand, uh, they, I, I want to say sponsor of the show, but I actually paid for this shirt. They don't sponsor our show, but great <laughs> yeah, company. Right. They make a lot of cool BYU swag. Um, they rolled this out earlier in the year. So let's go back in the Wayback Machine to July, the year 2020. Do you remember that month? I do, I do. Before we go down this road, because I okay. can tell you take a while. Let me. While we're on the topic of shirts, that's one of my favorite things as a fan is to wear very topic, topically relevant shirts. Uh, I, I haven't done it as much lately, but earlier on in the 2000s, like when BYU rolled out the Quest for Perfection shirts, uh-huh. that same year is when Utah went undefeated. So I think it was Dalai Lama. I don't know. Some youth fan made Quest for Perfection in red, you know? Yeah. And I wore those shirts. And like nice. I, I, Max Hall hates me shirts. You know, that uh-huh. used to be – I'm very, I'm a big fan of top, relevantly top – topically relevant shirts. So good on you for that shirt. But anyway, back to July 2020. Absolutely. Let's take a – a trip backwards. July 2020 feels like 10 years ago for a lot of people this year. But Devontae Henry Cole, our boy, had just transferred. Well, I don't know BYU exactly when he transferred. DHC. Yeah, because the war, the sky was falling. BYU's schedule was falling apart. And everybody else was saying, okay, we're going to go conference only to be safe. Which left BYU with no conference that left them with no schedule. 
because everybody else was going conference only and players did not know what was going to happen this year and coaches did not know what was going to happen this year. And at that point in time, they did not invent the saying anyone, anytime, anywhere, but they reiterated it. Tom Homo actually first spoke these words in 2016 at a state of the program speech and it stuck. And that was kind of the mantra, which was really cool because Zach Wilson, around that time, I want to believe 2016 would have been when he was being recruited, right? When did he graduate high school? Probably. He's just a he's just a uh, junior now. I don't know. He so he let's see. That means 18 was his first rivalry game. 19 was last year. 20. So that would mean uh, his his signed in February of 18. Yeah, or either February 18 or February. 18. Anyway, yeah. So he's a juniorish in high school. Much like me being the young and impressionable co-host right now, Zach Wilson was mm-hmm. the impressionable Perfect. recruit when Tom Homo gave the speech saying anyone, anywhere, anytime. That is our mantra. That has been the identity of this team for years, going back to 2016 at least. And Recently, Zach Wilson opened up and said, the reason I came to BYU, not Boise State, is I wanted to play good teams. I wanted good opponents. I wanted to face the big dogs. And that I love that because that embodies what I love about independence. Obviously, if the Pac-12 or the Big 12 says, hey, BYU, come join us. Yeah, see you later, independence. Like, I, the, P5, obviously. But with with that, if a P5 we is get not that. on the uh, table. We, we get that. I mean, we, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's not an option Our right now. Our listeners smart enough to not have to have to worry about. You it. would think. Yeah. You would think. I, here's You're the right. thing. BYU and Utah fans are smart enough. You can't go off the fringe enough. tweets, bro. You can't go off the fringe <laughs> tweets. That's the problem. You can't go off like the sarc the sarcastic tweets that I will throw out, that others will throw out. That BYU. I mean, this you can't go off that. When, this, this is to what a man when I, the rubber hits the road. Everyone knows where they where they if they had a choice, and we get that. I let it get under my skin because we we touched on this last time. BYU is in national conversations that they haven't been in before. And so I'm reading just occasionally someone from like Kansas that's like, this is why BYU should just join a P5. <laughs> I'm like, you more, what? How easy? <laughs> like, what? someone yeah, should tag Tom Homo in this. Anyway, yeah. So P5 is not an option. We love independence because we're not afraid. We're not backing down. And that's not just us this year. That's us anytime. Reiterated when our schedule fell apart, Tom Homo did an outstanding job putting the schedule back together. Royal Army brand put this shirt out there, and it wasn't quite this iteration. Right now, the one I'm wearing says any team. The original version said any one because that was the quote. But then. People accuse that shirt of, of having uh, innuendos like it was a slutty shirt, right? Like, I'm going to take on anyone, anywhere, anytime. But here's the thing. Stupid this world. is stupid, stupid Twitter. World. It gained enough traction that they changed the shirt to any team, which is like, all right, well, now you're taking a whole team. Is that really better? Anyway, slightly less slutty shirt. So that's what I would wear it even if it were more <laughs> slutty because I don't care if people think I'm a slut. You are. You're slutty. Yeah. <laughs> Any team. So fast forward to where uh, Zach Wilson was asked about the headband on BYU Sports Nation. And he explained, look, we recognize this was before the number 14 ranking came out. We recognize we have an uphill battle and people were going to look down on us because of our schedule. So before that happened, when he's got the spotlight on him on TV, on international TV, BYU TV, he wanted to make the statement. This is who we are. We're going to take on any team, anytime, anywhere. And I love that. And then, of course, we, we all know what happened next, right? Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, it was a fun week, man. It was fun. I mean, 
And, and, and we obviously, just like we, I mean, I don't know why we have to throw this disclaimer every time we talk about anything, but we do. With everything, there's nuance to it, you know? There's, yes. Things are deeper than they appear. But it's just, it was just the timing with, with that headband flashing, like you said, internationally across the world. And then that weekend news leaks that, that Washington had offered BYU game and, and they didn't agree to it. And then just the timing of the two, boom. It was like it was like the hydrogen sparking in the sky above the Northern Lights and it created a show. It <laughs> created fireworks, keg. man. Yeah. Here's here's what I want to go off on. I have sources. We we now the North and Gold podcast has reached these heights where people share info with us as long as we protect our sources, just like real media. I can't reveal who I've got this from, but I've got an insider. This is the timeline. Take it or leave it. Some of you will believe me. Some of you won't believe me. Some of you will be shocked. Some of you will be surprised. This is the way it went down. On Sunday, Washington leaked. Yeah, BYU's uh, hesitant or resisting, I believe, was the wording that was used. We, Washington wants to play BYU, but they are resisting. Sunday night, confirmed on social media, BYU players are home for Thanksgiving break. Assuming that means they're going to be home all the way through the rest of the week and then come back to practice the next week for the for the upcoming opponent. Monday, BYU football players that were in town had a practice, and Kalani told those of them who were in practice on Monday, we're playing Washington. This is who we're prepping for. That's when round one of eyeballs on Twitter came out. The players were under the impression on Monday we are playing Washington, which I find really interesting because the leak and the rumors and, oh, BYU's ducking Washington, that all happened the night before. Now, the players and the coach were under the impression, no, no, we will play Washington. So you look at this Monday situation. Washington on Monday was prepping for Utah. Utah on Monday was prepping for Arizona State. And BYU was prepping for Washington. How crazy is that? That's a love triangle. It is. That's like me, Carrie Underwood, and Carrie Underwood's husband. (laughs) Do do we need to go through and identify who's who? I'm BYU in this this, You are BYU. This scenario. I'm the one that lost out. (laughs) So, which which, was it the husband or Carrie that was trying to flirt with you just in case it didn't work out? Both. <laughs> we we live in a very we're uh it's okay we we we're welcome all everybody. On Tuesday it was announced that Utah was playing Washington. On Thursday it was announced that San Diego State and Colorado had an agreement. So we've got all kinds of moving parts here. Here's the thing that almost was. This is what I've got from my insider. The way I am interpreting this information is the athletic directors of all three schools wanted this to happen. This almost was. Washington was really close to a deal where they would actually play in Provo. And I know a lot of people will say, no, 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 that goes against the Pac-12 rules. The AD said, we will play in Provo. It will be broadcast on the Pac-12 network. BYU was going to say, we don't need the money for this game. You keep the money. We just want a chance to play you. It'll be in Provo, but you'll broadcast it. And, uh, in a, with part of this deal is we'll get a game with USC the following week, you know, assuming they're available. Pac-12 said no. I'm, I'm taking this information that I have from the insider to mean USC, Washington, and BYU's athletic directors said we have a plan and we like this plan. It wouldn't be that shocking because BYU has recently played USC and Washington. I would imagine those athletic directors are all on good terms and all wanting something to win. And here's the thing: when the when last the conference, year, as a matter of fact, yeah, when the conference you steps in and says year. no, we're not going to let it happen. As a member of the conference, your hands are tied. So I'm not mad. I'm not going to say USC's ducking or Washington's ducking. 
But this game was going to happen. Tom Homo wanted it to happen. Zach Wilson wanted it to happen. Kalani wanted it to happen. All of the fans wanted it to happen. The Pac-12 said no. Here's why I think it's stupid from the Pac-12. Yes, I get that you got to protect your own first, that if someone needs a game and someone's available, you do that. However, you could, if you had BYU willing to say, we don't need the money because we've already had nine games, you know, we're 9-0, and we've got our money, other people need money, you can keep it all. You can, you'll get that much more if you're the Pac-12 conference. You're going to multiply how many games you get by allowing outsiders in. So I, I don't know. I feel like conference leadership from the Pac-12, once again, is tripping on their own tail. We'll clean it up for this well, what, podcast. They're tripping I'm, on their own tail. I'm, one thing I'm curious about is, is so you say the ADs were on board. But then you you th- you say the Pac-12. Who are, are you referring to when when you say the Pac-12? Who's who's the one that's putting a kibosh on it? Is it Larry Scott, the commissioner? Is it? I mean, when you say the Pac-12, I mean, when I say when I myself reference Pac-12 leadership, I'm including our own president and AD in that Pac-12 leadership umbrella. So when you say the Pac-12 stopped it, who's stopping it? Who said no? Pure speculation, but I'd say Larry Scott number one. And I would say, number two, if it, if it is something where there's a committee, a conference call that happens every two or three days, then they got outvoted, you know. But there were maybe two, three presidents or 80s in the room that said, hey, let us do this. We think it'll help us out. It'll give us exposure. Uh, you know, we've worked with BOE in the past. We don't mind that they don't let men live together in their dorms or whatever. Or do don't no, they do let men live here. I don't I'm not going to get into the nuances of why the Pac-12 doesn't like BYU. They, they, they don't let some men live together in their dorms if they're married. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> two schools said, we want to do this. And either the rest of the Pac-12 said no, or Larry himself said, no, this is not how we do things. So the, here's the thing. People are going to listen to this and say, oh, yeah, yeah, it was close in air quotes there. Like it wasn't really close. My source on the inside said this was this just about happened. So however close it can almost happen without happening, that was the explanation. I said last week when we recorded, as of the time of our recording, something is happening. BYU will be playing this week because eyeballs were everywhere on Twitter. Obviously nothing happened, and it it was very anticlimactic. It sucked, but that's what this was about. Well, as my esteemed co-host, I have no no choice but to trust you. You know, and and, and I've I've mentioned many times, Pac-12 leadership's a freaking joke. It is. It's a joke from the top down, and uh, and so I mean, you, this is a conference where you had an go back a couple years. They had a game against USC and Washington State, and there was an egregious targeting call, textbook targeting call, where the USC guy launched his helmet into the chin of the Washington State helmet. And the ref called targeting, and while they were reviewing it, they had freaking Woody Dixon, who was like the legal counsel, not even part of any refereeing thing at all, step in and say, nope, sorry, that's not targeting. So that's the kind of leadership you're dealing yeah. with. I mean, crap like that. So any story you tell me about Pac-12's inept leadership, uh, I'm just going to assume it's true because I know how terrible they are, man. It's- they suck. It's shady. It's it's likely corrupt. I don't have anything firm to say it's corrupt, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's corrupt. You know, if there's underhanded dealings. Anything with money, dude. I'm and I'm jaded. I'm jaded now. I'm older, but I'm to the point where anything where there's huge dollar amounts on the line, there's somebody corrupt trying to screw it over in the first place. Um, I mean, dude, this conference is so stupid. I mean, the the way they do things, like 
in the midst of trying to get the Pac-12 network on DirecTV, Larry Scott calls a conference call to bring all his people together. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, they're announcing it. And he's just here to brag about his extension he got. Oh my gosh, look, they signed me to more because they trust me and my leadership. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that at all. Like he just <laughs> dumb stuff. Or the height of pandemic, when everybody's searching for, for any good news about money, they announce, hey, we've got this partnership with the seafood <laughs> company. Like what in oh, the man. hell are you guys? <laughs> like, so yeah, anytime you want to bash on Pac-12 leadership, I'm all for it because I know they are terrible. And Larry Scott should have been fired a year ago. And listen, I'm not a fan of people losing their jobs, but this dude makes $6 million a year to suck at his job, and he'll be fine when he loses a job. He needs to get fired ASAP. So, yeah, like I said, anytime you want to the Pac 12 leadership, I agree with you. There's there's a difference in somebody losing their job if they're like yeah. an assembly line worker with four kids that are just barely yes. making ends meet and someone like this. And even some I will CEO, go so far as yeah. to say because there was some back and forth this week on a local radio host, you know, should should you're calling for this guy to lose his job. How unkind of you. And it's like, you know, not everybody is cut out for every job, and some people should lose their job and find a much better job that they will be happy in and be good at. Sometimes it's not unkind to hope that somebody doesn't continue the line of work that they're in, and and it's you're right. It, and, it's a hard truth. And someone like Larry Scott, I mean, he'll lose his job. He'll have million dollars of of parach- a parachute, you know, the golden parachute. It won't affect him at all. He, right. I mean, so, you're right. Someone who's got a family and they're on the assembly line, that's different than. Six million dollars a year, Larry Scott, who's screwing up a mega conference and he's doing it getting paid way more than any other commissioner. So, yes, I agree. Fire Larry Scott, yeah, absolutely. Hey, huh. this is a great That's segue. Unless you have another something to go on to, I had a, I had two rants lined up for the show today, and we could segue into my second rant because it has to okay. do with this very thing. But you know, go maybe we it. should do a Utah, let's do a Utah segment for a bit. Okay, well, I mean, we had a game to talk about, so let's do it, right? Let's do it. Um, yes, back to the Utes. Okay, so I find I find the narrative on Twitter very funny between Utah and BYU fans that are going back and forth making fun of whether, oh, this season doesn't really count or does really count. They're two separate storylines, you know? You look at BYU season, yes, it absolutely freaking counts. They've played almost a full season. I don't care what their strength is. It, it counts. You look at Utah's, I, there's no one on planet Earth that can look at what we've been through and say, yes, this counts as a full season. We've had three, we've had four games. Three of the four have been freaking canceled. Two of them not rescheduled. One of them rescheduled with a team in between, you know, midweek. Um, as well, and, and the one team we played our first game is against USC, who broke our quarterback shoulder for the year. So it's like ultimate adversity like there's honestly you take a step back there's nothing you can really learn from this team you can see flashes of things from people but to look back and say oh Utes are 0 2 that means they suck I don't think you can say that I don't think you can say they suck because they're 0 2 but they've played two the two two of the three Pac-12 teams that are ranked and both of them were close enough games in the fourth quarter where they could have won either so to flat out say they suck you can't do that because you can't learn anything. But about this Washington game, man, was it the tale of two halves or what? You know, we had talked about going in this game. This is Utah's second game. Uh, they You improve the most from game one to game two. I, I went on Twitter. I was like, you know, I think the Utes are going to look good. I think we're going to win. I think we're going to have have a, have a ton of improvement. And the first half, I looked like a freaking genius because we dominated that first half. Our defense, our young defense, was lights out, had 
a couple interceptions, some nice stops, held them to zero points, and the offense actually looked really freaking good. Scored three touchdowns. Uh, The third touchdown was a beautiful pass from Bentley to Brian Thompson in the back corner of the end zone. It was like a 20-yard pass, but went cross field, so it was a big lofted pass, right? It was just beautiful, right? And they go up 21-0 at halftime, like, oh my gosh, they look freaking incredible. And then the wheels fell off, um, and and it, it was like... Anything that had to go wrong did, and anything that had to go right for Washington did. And Washington got the ball three and a half minutes to go and 86 yards to go down, you know, needing to score a touchdown to win, and I knew they were going to do it. I texted my brothers. I was like, fellas, we know how this is going to end because you just felt it, right? And that's what happened. Washington went down, scored a 30 seconds left. But uh, So taking away from the game as a whole, it was super frustrating because it was the first time all year where we felt this passion and joy for football. You know, that first half because our season had been canceled. It had been rescheduled and it had been canceled and then rescheduled and then canceled, canceled both games. And then we lose, you know, so just everything had gone wrong for us all season. That first half felt, it felt like football again, whereas joy and euphoria (sighs) in the second half, we totally screwed it up. But so I'm looking, I look at the game as a whole and I stand by what I said before the game started. I will not be happy or upset. I mean, I'll be happy, but I won't be upset if we lose because of what's going against us. And so I look at things that were positives for us. Positives is we have a freshman running back who was getting so much hype in camp um, when really he came in as like the fourth or fifth string guy behind Brumfield, um, Wilmore, um, TJ Green who transferred, and Micah Bernard. And he came in as true freshman, Ty Jordan, and he was just getting rave reviews, and he looks head and shoulders above everybody else as a 17-year-old true freshman. He only had 10 touches, but he averaged almost 10 yards a carry, and he had a couple huge explosive runs. And he just looks he looks like he's going to be a baller. He has good vision in the hole. Um, he makes nice he, he makes nice cuts on a dime. He's, he's fast. So Ty Jordan, to me, that's the number one bright spot out of the game, Ty Jordan, freshman running back out of Texas. He looked awesome. He had a ton of hype coming in. He, he used to be a Texas commit. Flip to Utah. So I, I think the future is bright for him. He looked good there. Plus a couple other freshmen. We started three freshmen on the offensive line, three freshmen on defense. I mean, there's freshmen all over the field, and a lot of them made plays. We had uh, Fabian Marks, true freshman cornerback, uh, who had a pick and almost had another pick. Um, and so the defense showed flashes. But like I said when I started the season, Benji, what I say, I don't care about win-loss record. I care about young guys taking their lumps now and making mistakes now so they don't do it next year and this is exactly what we're seeing a perfect example was Clark Phillips that cornerback we talked about he had a, a pass defense in the in the first half that was beautiful it was a it was, he was in covering in the slot and the the Washington receiver did the little um fade fade route from the slot and he closed quickly knocked the ball down the end zone looked awesome but then later in the game he gave up a touchdown which you know cost us the game and like I said these are the mistakes I want them to make now so next year they don't so, I, again, I saw enough flashes from our young guys where I'm still super excited about the future. But the the bummer, the thing that just – the biggest bummer of all is our starting quarterback is not getting these reps to practice. You know, six passes he had in the first game before he tore his labrum and is out for the year. That's just That just sucks. So that's, that's my three-minute recap of the Utah-Washington game. I see it exactly the same way you do. Here's the thing I've thought about with Ty Jordan – he likely, if, if he has that edge to him, that competitive edge, he's taking this loss harder than anybody. And I, I don't know him personally, but I would imagine that's how he takes it. I mean, he's a D1 athlete at, at top level. He likely looks at his fumble 
and he's not going to let that go quickly. And you're right. What a perfect season. What a perfect year to say you lost us that game because you really haven't lost anything by losing just this game. Yeah. However, if that motivates him to say that's the last time I ever fumble, and you know who knows? I mean, he's got a long career ahead of him. But sometimes things like that can be turning points where it really does shape who he is the next three or four or five years. Um, yep. That being said, the starting quarterback, I think, is a problem because he should know better. He's he's not going to say, oh, man, my interceptions, I cost us this game. I mean, he maybe does view it that way, but he's he doesn't have a long, prosperous, bright career ahead of him where he can learn from this. Like, he should know better by now. You're talking about Bentley, the quarterback? Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That's – I guess I hate – I don't want to rip on people personally – but that's been one of the biggest um, surprises for me on the negative side is Jake Bentley's performance. He was, I, I said it so many times when I didn't have games to talk about and I was just talking about potential. He was a three-year starter in the SEC with 33 starts and almost 8,000 yards. He doesn't look like that in U- mm-hmm. at Utah in these two games. He looks tentative. He looks like he does not have very good arm strength and his decision-making is not very good. There yeah. was an interception where... He, he he was under pressure, and granted, the line has not been as good as they've been touted. And, and part of that, in my opinion, is because there's three freshmen on there that are learning. But he had a play where he had some pressure, and he rolled out, and he saw Britton Covey kind of going up the seam, and he tried to get it to him, and he way underthrew it, and it was picked off and, and brought back another 25 yards the other way. Like, the, the pass was like, man, you should – that's like a, a freshman mistake, not a senior. Yeah. Player. So, like – so things like that have been disappointing where it's like – I expected more out of him, but it goes back to losing our, our starting quarterback in the first game. I don't know if he's like super awesome or if he just barely beat Bentley or what, but the, the sad thing is we won't know because he doesn't get these reps, you know? I would have been perfect for him to have five or six games for him to make those mistakes now. So going in the offseason, we knew what he was. We still won't know what he is. We're going to go in this offseason saying, man, that defense is young, but look at all the all the potential they have and all the plays they made. Look what they did against Washington in the first half. Look what they did against Oregon State, whatever. Or, and then, awesome, we have Ty Jordan coming back. What a freshman year. What a breakout. Look at the receivers that come back. We can't say that about the quarterback because we don't know. We can't say, oh, and then Rising's going to be awesome because we just we, we hope he is, but we won't know because he's only had six freaking passes, and that's the most unfortunate thing. And it's a huge, that's a huge thing that sucks. That's the like, oh, that kind of sucks. And that's like a, a thing that sucks big time, you know? So I don't know. It's, I like I said, I'm still I'm still optimistic about the future because we got a lot of guys that showed flashes. But I don't know. The one thing you mentioned about Ty Jordan with his fumble that was that was one of the big turning points. We were up uh, four in the fourth quarter, and Ty Jordan just had a 46 yard beautiful run up the middle where he made several nice cuts and showed a burst. And then we're it's it's the fourth quarter, and we're on the 15 yard line, and he's sweeping left. And he just didn't tuck the ball, and it popped out on him, and was a huge momentum swing. Because even if we just got a field goal there, it's it's a touchdown lead, but we didn't. If we got a touchdown, then it's a score and a half, and it's like this game might be salted away, you know. But it was a big mistake. But you you saw his reaction after the fumble. He was like devastated at himself. He had his hands on his helmet, kept slapping his helmet, and that I think will be a big learning point to him. Like I need to make sure I take extra care of this football each time going forward. And it's a year where he doesn't lose any eligibility, like you said, and it doesn't really matter. And I look at a, a point that happened in Zach Moss's career was his freshman year where at Cal, we're down four, fourth quarter. We have the ball, fourth and goal. He gets the ball, and he, he should have followed 
Isaac Asiata on the pole, and he would have walked in the end zone and won the game, but he didn't. He cut back left, it got tackled, that got stopped. And he said many times that was a, a, a um, an impetus for a turning point in his career because he remembered how he felt. So maybe same thing, Ty Jordan. Maybe that'll be something that will drive him going forward. But anyway, Ty Jordan looked good. Young defensive guys look good. Man, we just, I mean, we're, we're, we had two games left. We played two games. What a stupid year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the midterm report for the Utes. <laughs> what a terrible... Yeah. yeah. So stroll down memory lane with me. You just talking about Ty Jeremy hitting his helmet. And I, I watched that too. I, I remember him uh, kind of freaking out, being really upset about that lost fumble. That is, I actually attribute that as well as the movie Hoosiers to why I made the one time I made a high school basketball team. I got cut from the basketball team my freshman year. Sophomore year, I had watched Hoosiers the night before tryouts, and I was inspired. Like, I didn't... Freshman year, I'd been practicing, like, two hours a day for the, like, six months leading up to tryouts, and I didn't cut it. I got cut. Sophomore year, I uh, started practicing, like, the week before tryouts, but I watched the movie and was like, man, I really want to be on the team. And during tryouts, I freaking put on a show where I've displayed so much emotion. Like, I remember... You know, one guy scored on me one time, and I'm just yelling and all that. And then as soon as they do it, like, break up and have different guys scrimmage, I, like, storm out to get a drink and kick the door and did all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to show these coaches that I care, that I can do better, that I was I, – I, like – if you, my advice, if you're going to try out – those of you who are young athletes listening – don't hold back. You you be fiery in the tryouts because coaches knows that they want to see fiery emotion during tryouts. But yeah, but yeah, good, I don't I don't advice. think he was faking it just to impress Wid. I think he really was mad. I I on the other hand was faking it. I was like I need to act like I'm really mad <laughs> if somebody scores on me. Um, the, the going back to your point about the quarterbacks, I thought it was fascinating because we had speculated preseason. And you had said, I believe that Cam Rising being a mobile quarterback is what gives him the edge. Game one against USC on the broadcast, they said that according to Whittingham, the big difference was accuracy. And yeah. with even with six pass attempts from Rising, I'm seeing with what I'm seeing from Bentley that, yeah, accuracy likely did give him the edge because that is what seems to be missing. And and you're right. It, oh, I hate yeah. I hate talking bad about people. I'm sure he's a great guy. But just like not everybody needs to keep their $6 million a year job, you know, not everybody should be a starting quarterback at the P5 level, Division One level, FBS level. Which is the surprising thing because, as I mentioned a million times over, he was a three-year starter in the SEC. You can't be a three-year starter unless you're good. You'd think after one year, at the very worst, two, they yank him. But he started for three years. So I'm wondering, A, I mean, maybe he has better – it wouldn't surprise me. They have better wide receivers down there. Made him look better. Um, B, maybe his line protected him better because whatever it is, whatever whatever that's going on out there on the field right now is not good enough. It's not good enough, and it's it's blatantly obvious too. Like some of these, some of these passes, like or like we mentioned it last week, like five, like the game of flies up, like so underthrown and so like not even anywhere near. It's like what is going on, man? What is going? On? This can't be what he was like in in, in South Carolina. In fact, I, I I Google I looked up his YouTube tape and there's some passes in there like dang where is that why is he yeah how, how, look at the zip he has on the ball there I haven't seen that I don't know I don't know I don't I don't want to speculate maybe he's injured somehow I don't know but what's out on the field is not good enough at all it's just not good enough and we throw out some comparisons it, Jordan Wynn and Tanner Mangum or a quarterback from each team that I feel like regressed as their careers progressed. 
And I think it was a combination of a few things. Now, both of them had injuries that they had a tough time coming back from. But in addition to that, I think there was a little bit of a, what, like a lack of a mental edge. Like they were maybe a little bit less, you know, a little more hesitant to do something wrong. Like I felt like the Jordan win that I watched, I think he, he went out and balled out when he was brand new. And then he kind of had to to rein it in, like almost like, man, if I mess up coaches. And again, this is me reading between the lines here, but but just a little more hesitant to make a mistake. And I, I certainly saw that with Tanner. Uh, I saw that with uh, with Jordan, at least what I interpret to be that. And then when you add on top of that, the fact that there's film on you, you know, when you're brand new and you've got high school tape, coaches aren't going to be delving that deep into your high school tape to scout you. There's only so many hours in the week. But when you're a sophomore, junior, senior, and you've got tape, it's a little bit easier to game plan against your weaknesses. And so combination of injuries, what I perceive as a, a mental regression during your career, and then uh, and then having the tape out of there, how many of those might apply to uh, Bentley? Well, I mean, Jordan wins an interesting case study, and that's a great example of a quarterback that, that did regress. In fact, his last year, he retired like three games into the season, if you recall. Mm-hmm. His biggest issue to me was he had multiple shoulder injuries of the same shoulder to where the point to the point where like coming into his junior year in camp they had him on a pitch count if you remember that where uh-huh. they wouldn't let him even throw more than 100 balls a game because his shoulder was sore and he you could tell you could tell when he was throwing he wasn't the same quarterback that he was when he was a freshman sophomore because as his freshman year he came in halfway through took over for Terrence Kane and he lit it up like in the bowl game against Cal as a freshman he had almost 400 yards like four touchdowns just looked like a gunslinger but by the time he had retired as a senior junior senior whatever it was he didn't look the same and, and, and injuries played a huge part in that because he was super fragile but I also think, and, and, and listen, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm Kyle Whittingham's biggest defender. I love Witt. I think he's an incredible coach. However, if there is a weakness with him, it's with offense, and it's been that way. You know, People have wondered, and he's gone through multiple coordinators, obviously. We know that story. People have wondered whether he meddles too much or whether if he puts on the quarterback and the coach, do not turn the ball over. And that sometimes people you know, say that that may make them gun shy, like you're saying. So I don't know this because I, I don't know the answer to this, but maybe there is something to that with Jake Bentley to where he stressed so much not to turn the ball over because he did have a little bit of... That's the thing about South Carolina. Is he had a lot of touchdowns, a lot of yards, but he also had a lot of turnovers then too. That was one thing that was brought up. So I wonder if Witt stressed it so much that like you said, there's a little mental regression there. That wouldn't surprise me with him because I'll be honest. What I, Like I said, what I'm seeing on the field is not good enough. It's not Division One P5 caliber starting quarterback play, especially a guy who's thrown for 8,000 yards in the toughest league in America. That's not what I'm seeing out there. So there is something that's going on. Whether there is an injury that nobody's disclosing or whether it's a mental regression or whether it's Kyle Whittingham uh, ex- you know, expressing his disdain with turnovers to where there's that mental regression, I don't know. But whatever's happened, it's not what I expected. It's not what I, I saw when I watched some of his games from South Carolina. Speaking of Whittingham and what might be a criticism on him, this is me. Uh, the The clearest example of what I'm about to talk about is the BYU-Utah-Las Vegas Bowl. Utah blows a wide-open first-quarter lead, and then he completely game plans around the fact that he's up 35 nothing, and BYU comes within freaking inches of stealing that game from Utah. And I say stealing because Utah had it in the bag, and it ended up being way closer than it should have been. Did you see any of that 
with Washington, Utah this past week because you're right. It was completely one half and then the other. How much of that was the fact that he said, all right, let's get a little more conservative? Well, I think part of the problem is Utah fans have been conditioned to ex- expect that, right? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of what's happened. Like you said, it's happened in the past, and that's just who he is. You know? It's not making – it's not saying – I mean, obviously there's no perfect coach, and that's one of his flaws, right? He, he, he does get conservative. So it's hard to really pinpoint and say this is exactly what happened because if you look at it, Utah was having a ton of success running the ball. Mm-hmm. They were having a ton of – they weren't having as much success throwing the ball. So if you're a coach – and you look at, say, for example, your quarterback, your backup quarterback, who's now your starter, you look at it and say, okay, his weakness is the long ball. Like, it's just not – so let's let's game plan and focus on what we do best, and that's running the ball. So the thing is that could look to people on the outside like, oh, they got conservative. But the fact is we were being successful running the ball in the first half. You watch the game. You hear the, the, the commentators are saying, man, Utah is pushing their line around running the ball. Pass blocking, they were very poor, right? So perhaps – at halftime, they said, listen, let's keep doing what we're doing best, running the ball, and we've got a big lead. So to me, that's kind of a, that's a logical way to deal with it if you're looking at what's going on. But the problem is the fact that we lost, it's everybody's go-to. Oh, Utah mm-hmm. got conservative, and that's why they lost. Maybe they didn't get conservative. Maybe they did, but maybe they just said, listen, we've got a lead. What's working is running the ball. Let's stick with what we're doing. But it didn't work because we had a fumble, you know, on that on the in the inside the red zone. We had that interception. Um, and so, so it looks like it, in retrospect, it's easy to say, oh, they got conservative. But in my opinion, what they did, in my opinion, was say, hey, we're doing well running the ball. Let's keep, let's keep doing what we're doing well. And it just, it didn't work out. Yeah. I'll admit it, it's a lazy take for me. I, do you, you typically watch games multiple times. Do you even watch the losses multiple times? I do. Yeah. yeah I so do. I, I, I would trust disease, your analysis man. on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a disease. And, and I look back, I mean. I can see maybe as you know what honestly the answer to this one is probably a combination of both. Yeah. Like they, they they were running the ball well, so they decided to keep doing that, but they also Wit does have that tendency to try and just close a game out. And it's worked for him. I mean, he wins more than he loses, right? He's won sixty six percent of his sixty seven percent of his game, so he wins more than he loses. So I think honestly in this situation it's probably a combination of both. Our yeah. our offensive our, our, our offensive line was not pass blocking well. And uh, Jake Bentley was not making great decisions in the throw game. There's one perfect example. I look in the I can't remember if it was the third or fourth quarter, but we were it was fourth and one around midfield, and we went for it. And they they called a, a Jake Bentley rolled out, and Ty Jordan came out of the flat, and he hit him, caught it, but he was tackled one yard short. Literally, if he had turned his head like five degrees down the middle of the field, Brant Keithy who has been severely underutilized this year, was literally wide open five yards past the sticks. He could have just flung it down the middle of the field, got a first down, but he just wasn't he wasn't going through progressions or maybe he didn't have enough time, but it just wasn't the pass game wasn't working as well as the run game. So I think back to that question, I think it was a combination of both. We tried to focus on what we were doing well, um, and and maybe got a little conservative because passing wasn't really working for us. For sure. I have to point out, too, I absolutely hate Twitter after a Utah loss because the way I see it, the people I follow on both sides are generally good people. But when Utah fans are salty, they will call out all the BYU fans who are rubbing it in. And I don't follow those BYU fans, so I never see what they're talking about. I just see the reaction, and I hate it. But on this particular game... I can send you game, their, their, their handles yeah, if you want to search them out. You send them out. Oh, I believe they're there. In fact, I've, I've been on... I've said this before... 
<laughs> BYU fans bother me more than Utah fans because I'm embarrassed by them. You know, not not all. There's a lot of great fans, but the the bad apples out there they bother my own bad apples bother me more than your bad apples do. Oh, um, kinda, bad apples they, are always better on the on your side. That's the they, same. They are. They are. Right? <laughs> they are. My my favorite thing from this past game though, and I can say this now because there's been a period of time for healing. Right, you're you're not as offended if I bring this up. The me being two hours behind in the time zone, I'm always up later than everybody else, and so I'll be sitting there, I'll be like, all right, I'm done with my Netflix time, getting ready for bed, scroll through Twitter, and Twitter has their algorithm where they just throw tweets you might have missed from six hours ago, and so I'm reading all these Utah fan tweets from the first half like three hours after a brutal, devastating loss. And they were hilarious because it seemed like it was straight sarcasm, like, uh, oh, yeah, both these teams beat BYU by two touchdowns. <laughs> and, like, you know, whatever take you have in the first half of, like, oh, our quarterback, this and that. Our... It is just funny because knowing, like, how the game unfolded, yeah, uh, it, yeah hindsight, you know, everybody well, I, d- it turned into one big freezing cold takes sight. It's funny because, like, when you're winning and you're you're doing really well, you have this euphoria that you just can't really match. And so even I tweeted out when Utah went up twenty one nothing at halftime, Utah drove the they got the ball up fourteen nothing, drove the they had like three minutes and drove the length of the field and had a like I I said that touchdown to to Brian Thompson in the corner of the end zone, a beautiful pass from Bentley, like looked awesome touchdown. Went up twenty nothing. I tweeted out Utah's the best team in the universe. Like you know, obviously on that emotional high, obviously not. Right. I know we're not the best team in the universe. Right. I know we're not the best team in the freaking conference. Whatever. And so I tweeted that out, all capitals, because I was so excited. It was so fun. And yeah, if you had read that six hours later, it would have looked awfully <laughs> hilarious, too. Yes. Good good sarcasm there. All right. Anything else we want to cover on the Utes? Any other takeaways? Any other parting thoughts? Nope. Just maybe uh, per- this week we have scheduled... And I say scheduled because, like I said, three of our four games we haven't played, right? So we have scheduled Oregon State. Uh, Oregon State looks pretty good. They just beat Oregon in their rivalry game. Um, and, and they started the season slowly, but, it's again, I go back to this COVID. You can't really judge much on this season on anybody in the Pac-12 because we've started, stopped, started, stopped, right? Um, anyway, they, they started kind of slow, but their last two games they looked really good and beat Oregon. And they have a running back who is a legit – NFL stud Jamar Jefferson. He had 200 plus yards against Oregon, and their quarterback as a transfer from Nebraska looked really good. The good news for Utah, and I hate to say good news because the situation. The good news is their quarterback is out this week against Utah. He got injured in a really cheap play against Oregon. Uh, it was a goal line sneak, and he was in the pile. And Oregon's player like pulled his leg and twisted and pulled and twisted, and he totally tore his hamstring because he they said on the radio that he's probably season-ending surgery. So whatever he did was terrible to him. Anyway, so he's not going to play. So I think the fact that their quarterback's not playing, we can focus on stuffing the run, which we're pretty we got a pretty good run defense. Our numbers granted it's two games, but our run our run defense numbers are really good. So I think we can win this game, get our first win of the year, which we need a couple wins just to feel good about. Um, so Utah plays Oregon State my prediction this week. Utah wins 31-21. And uh, and then I'm happy with a win. So that's my prediction. I think if things are clicking, I think BYU or BYU. Oh man, that's a terrible mistake to make. I think Utah can win by even more than that. I mean, I, I if they just get things humming and don't have any of those collapses, it, it could end up being a blowout. I like Oregon well, that's part, State. That's part of the problem. Is uh, offensively we're missing Covey. He, yeah. He, 
you know, you have your insiders. I have an insider too. Oh, uh, okay. You know, and I've mentioned before, but Covey was in. Covey had COVID early on. Um, so I hope I'm not breaking any HIPAA violations. I know if our man Braden Shame was listening, he hates when people bring up HIPAA because <laughs> they misuse it, it, it all the time. Yeah, and that's the same similar there. But I wanted to say that anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so he he had co- and part of the COVID issues is it affected his muscles in recovery. And so oh. the day before the USC game, he pulled his hamstring because his muscles were weak from COVID. Hmm. And so that's why he was out against USC. And then against Oregon State, he only went to return punts. Like, he wasn't part of the game plan. Against... So uh, it, oh, sorry, against, against um, yeah. Washington. Washington, he wasn't part yeah, of the, that's He right. was just there to return punts. And yeah. he played a couple but his plays, but is really there just to return punts. So if he's back to health, and Nakua's back to health, and... I think the offense can get humming, but we need, I'm going to say, we need more out of Jake Bentley. I would yeah. not be opposed if he is struggling again to pull him and put in the third string guy. Yeah. What do you have to lose at this point? Oh, they yeah. We're three games in, and if, if he's just not making it work, he needs to produce more. And I hope with a week of game planning, with Covey back, uh, I hope that we, we, we do see more. So, yeah, I could see us potentially being better offensively, but I guess we'll see. You never Absolutely. know this year. This crazier. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let me just paint this scenario for you. You got... Drew Lisk is the next guy up, right? So you got uh-huh. Bentley and you got Lisk. Let's say Rising makes a full recovery. Utah has a phenomenal season. They end up going to the Pac-12 championship game 2021, and Rising goes down in first quarter. You want your guy to have two <laughs> full games under center. You know, you want your guy. You want to have your guy. And a year from now, you want that to be Bentley or Lisk. I mean, it, you're right. It's maybe a little early, but if you're looking at it saying we only have two more games or maybe three if they Pac 12's putting everyone like that final week, right? Yeah. Just matchups T V D. If there's no more cancellations, we will have three more games. Yeah. That's it. You gotta get your guy or your backup guy to have that experience because you never know when that's gonna make all the difference in the world is to have a guy who's comfortable at this level versus this talent. Perfect example. Jason Shelley, where art thou? Oh, you know, that my was a goodness. flame out in Utah State. But in 2018, Tyler Huntley separates his shoulder, four games left of the year. Jason Shelley, our backup, comes in and wins the South for us, you know? And, yeah. man, he would be nice to have on our roster this, oh, yeah. this year because it was an absolute unmitigated disaster up in Utah State. But this isn't a Utah State podcast, so we'll go into that. But that's yes. a perfect example of what you're saying. You need, a, you need a backup because we needed it in 18, right? Absolutely. Here's, here's why I'm mad as a BYU fan, and I'm not actually mad. Spoiler alert, I'm never mad. It's very rare for me to be mad. But – This is why yesterday, Tuesday, December 1st, week two of the college football playoff rankings sucked. We had just talked about, uh, this is the segue I'm circling way back to, is the frustration with Pac-12 leadership when you feel like you're working against the system and the system is just corrupt and you can't win and it's the most frustrating thing in the world. And that is how BYU fans felt 24 hours ago when we moved up one spot. Meanwhile, Iowa State moves up several spots, right? Despite losing to Louisiana Lafayette, who, I mean, they just, it's ridiculous. The the logic in this circle is stupid because each point by itself, you can say, okay, I get it. Like, I get BYU has a weak strength of schedule. Let's knock everybody with a weak strength of schedule down. No, they don't want to knock everybody with a weak strength of schedule down. They make exceptions because they say, oh, look at this team. They're a big name. They're great historically. Okay, good. BYU is a big name and great historically compared to Cincinnati or, you know, I mean, maybe not. I mean, that's subjective. Okay, people will argue that. But you've got 
everything you can say about one team, if you're consistent on every point, BYU needs to be higher. But what it comes down to is this is a committee of people. They're protecting their own. They're athletic directors from Power 5 schools who are saying on one side of their mouth, BYU needs to have more Power 5 games. On the other side of the mouth, they're saying, don't schedule BYU. We got to protect our own. You got those same people making that same decision, and it's the most frustrating thing. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like you had to fight the system, be it versus like a health insurance thing or whatever, you know, and you just feel overwhelmed by these forces that you just can't deal with. And it's the suckiest suck feeling in the world. And that is how it feels dealing with the college football playoff committee. Now, bro, no, not, not only have I, I mean, you mentioned. Uh, forces and health dude in this very situation I've felt that way in in college football in 2008 I felt exactly what you're feeling yes. we, that was when we were on your on your side and we 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 had the you know we had an undefeated team we had beaten some ranked teams and we're and we're like man we just need a shot at the BCS championship and it was never going to happen and yes it is an un freaking fortunate and it sucks and i agree 100 percent. the system is not about equality it has never been about equality it's uh, they, they throw out their little nuggets about oh inclusion if you're in the top whatever they don't give a crap dude it's a committee of power brokers that are trying to keep the power within themselves it is it's a fact and i, I agree with you it absolutely sucks dude it sucks but when you have a committee and that's the problem is they have no guidelines to go by it's 11 people that say pick the four best yeah yeah. Well, what the crap do you do you think are the four best? And what are you? They don't have those rules to go by. It's like here's the four we feel are best, dude. You and me could look at a picture or painting on the wall, and I can tell you that's the best damn painting I've ever seen. And you could hate it because that's your opinion. You don't like it. I do, and that's exactly what it is. And that's exactly the problem with the playoff committee. There's no metrics they're going by. They were given zero metrics. It's like just pick the four best. So you've got 11 people who are using their opinion, and when their opinion is skewed by the fact that it affects their bottom line, if they let someone on the outside in, it's never going to be fair. And I agree with you, and I'm with you on that because I've been with you on that side. I've been on that side before, and it sucks. And as a friend to friend, I feel terrible for you. As a rival fan that wants you guys to not be <laughs> successful because it there. directly impacts us, impacts us. I, <laughs> I you know, go kick rocks. He just gave me a look that said, "Go kick rocks." <laughs> I mean, logically though, right? I mean, you know, what you I'm are the about, Ebenezer right? Scrooge, Scrooge in this play. You're the one saying, "I don't give a honk if Tiny Tim lives or dies." It's, it's Christmas. It's I don't care if it's Christmas. You're working. I don't want you to use two things of coal. Put, get to work. <laughs> yeah, I hear That's you. what sucks. The BCS, I never thought we'd be in the situation where we'd be like, oh, man, if only it were the BCS, everything would be great. Because oh, we hated worse, the BCS. Bro. Yes. I have this conversation all the time. My friend and I, we say, dude, I honestly, and I mean this, I am not just saying this. The way the system is now, I would rather go back to the old school bowl system, not the BCS. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Even before, before that, yeah. Because what the BCS started, the playoff system is made even worse. Like, it has devalued everything else. Yeah. If it was just, no matter what, the Pac-12 champ goes to the Rose Bowl, that's the freaking goal, you yeah. know? And then you can argue later about rankings. But that's the goal. Holy crap, Rose Bowl against, holy crap, the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl champ. That's what the goal was. Now it's like, 
if you're one of these champs and it's the year that the playoffs are not in the Rose Bowl, it's like, dude, screw the Rose Bowl. We missed the playoff. Like, it has devalued everything but those four playoff teams. And it, it would be it would be better to go back to the old bowl system, the old, old bowl system, where all those bowls freaking mattered. Now it doesn't matter jack, man. Do you, do you know what this reminds me of? Third grade or whatever grade you want, when you're playing basketball or football or whatever <laughs> – and you got like four dudes that are like, all right, me, this guy, this guy, that guy, we'll take on everybody. That'll be fair. There's only four of us and there's 12 of you. Yeah. Okay, but yeah. that guy like can barely walk and that guy is like blind and you know, you just like, it's not fair for four people to be like, all right, we'll play everybody, you know, and that's exactly what's happening is Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, and then somebody, maybe Notre Dame this year, who knows, say, all right, the four or of Oklahoma. us, we'll, we'll play. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and then just... the rest of you go have fun. We don't care about you. It sucks. You're right because it, it, and I, I saw some national guys tweeting about that today. When they when they went to this bowl system, they didn't count on it being the same four or five people every year. Yeah, they counted okay four four spots, but it's literally Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and then like you said, Oklahoma or Notre Dame or maybe uh, maybe it, someone else. You know, and yeah. that's what makes it that oh, as a Utah fan, that's what makes last year so sucky even more. Is like, dude, we were right freaking there. We were fifth with a win. We're in, and it, who knows if we'll ever be that close again. But you're right, dude. It sucks. The system sucks. It's set up to keep 95% of the people out of it. It just yeah. is. It is. It, they, they try and proclaim that it's all inclusive, but it's freaking not. I'm going to make this next point for 10 seconds, and then I'm going to come right back to Twitter or to uh, to sports because people hate when, when I do stuff like this. But... At least it's sports. There are people who feel this same frustration with the criminal justice system, with the healthcare system, with all kinds of other systems that just the system is not built for you to succeed. And that's how I feel as a BYU fan is we're trying to thrive in a situation, in a system that is not built for people like us to thrive. Thank goodness it's just sports because there's so many more harder things in life to deal with. But this is exactly how it's built, that system and this system. That was more than 10 seconds. Here's why I'm not mad. I mentioned there's reasons to be mad. Here's why I'm not mad. Number one, the story is not over yet. I actually wrote down this thought. I had this thought several hours before today's eyeball emoji outburst. Uh, the, the story's not over yet. We don't know how this season plays out. This might be just fine. We might be overreacting to an early ranking that works itself out, that everything's great. I feel like... Given the opportunity to play Coastal Carolina, which I would put at an over 50% chance of happening at this point, based on speculation within Liberty's program, based on the fact that College Game Day is planning on being there, and they not only need an opponent if Liberty backs out, they need a good opponent. They've got ESPN in their corner with College Game Day. ESPN and BYU have a long and prosperous relationship. There's so many reasons this makes sense, and I don't care you outsider P5 snobs saying, it's a Sunbelt team. This is the number 14 team AP ranked in the nation when was the last time you weren't excited to go take on the number 14 team in the nation you get you get that year in and year out in the Pac-12 and you get the freak up for those games you don't be like oh imagine it's just UCLA when UCLA is good you get excited for UCLA Coastal Carolina, who I had no idea before like three weeks ago, plays on some aqua field. I had no idea. I still don't even know how to pronounce their mascot's name. I don't know this team, but I do know they're good. They are like BYU in the fact that their schedule, their strength of schedule is weak. BYU is a stronger by a good five, six spots. You know, not it's a little bit stronger, maybe even 20 spots, somewhere in that range. 
uh, and BYU's point differential <laughs> is greater. So Coastal Carolina has been beating their opponents by an average of 20-something, BYU by an average of 33. So just by those sheer metrics, BYU should be favored. This is a game I like, but it's a chance for an angry, motivated BYU team to show the freak up and show the nation who they are. College freaking game day? Yes, give me that. So that's number one reason I'm not mad. The story isn't over yet. If we hang... 60 points on Coastal Carolina and hold them to under 20, and then you still keep us at 13? I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't see it happening. Number two reason I'm not mad. We're not making the college football playoff. We never were. That's not going to happen. We're not going to be that fourth team. I mean, it's just it's the playoff itself is not in play for us. I don't think it ever was. A New Year's Six Bowl is. The New Year's Six Bowl teams, they don't care or they shouldn't care about the college football playoff ranking because of everything we just talked about. That's 14 dudes that are like a mix of ADs and whoever else. They're not the boss of football. You've got all of the coaches. Think about this. Every AP writer in the whole country, including Wilner from San Jose Mercury News that hates BYU, he has them ranked 13. He had them ranked one ahead. Of, of what he the playoff everybody. committee put them. He, he does, hates he, Utah, too. He is, he is an equal opportunity hater. So, yeah, so it's yes. not just BYU. He hates everybody but himself. He's the Ebenezer Scrooge in this. What a, what a spite. Can you imagine living your life with that much hate? Uh, anyway, where you put everybody else who where they see BYU's value at is number seven, number eight in the country. And if the New, Year, New Year's Six Bulls see them at the same way, they're going to be just fine. So... Yeah, maybe we shouldn't care that they put us at 13 when that might not matter. Now, that being said, the bowl system might screw us over, too. They might have their own reasons to say, oh, well, like, what if the situation was, rever- <laughs> was reversed? What if the college football playoff committee said BYU's number four, or not four, number five in the nation? They barely missed the playoff, and they still don't get a New Year's Six invite because it's not guaranteed. They have no tie-in. There's nothing guaranteeing that they'll make it. So those are two separate things, so I don't think it actually matters. I've got a few more reasons why we shouldn't be mad. (laughs) Number one, what is it you want out of this? If you want respect, okay, the media is already giving you respect. BYU being ranked as low as they are has been a major talking point on TV every day for a week and continues to be so. So the media respects. Like, people think BYU is good. So we've got that. Be happy with that. Maybe we want money. Is it about money? BYU is one of the most financially frugal, financially sound, not frugal, a bad sense of frugal, they operate uh, without debt. Very few programs, athletic departments in the nation can say that. There's maybe three or four that can say that. But BYU, being who they are, practicing what they preach to the members of the church of their flagship, that they are the flagship institution of, they are fundamentally sound. Now, they've said they're operating this year with a projected $20 million shortfall. That's cool that they've disclosed that. I don't think anyone else has disclosed that, but I don't think anyone else is doing any better than them this year. Everybody needs money. And if you were to bet on who's most at risk for shutting down athletics, it's not BYU. They're going to be just fine. They've got, you know, if the church deems this as a valuable source of resources, they're going to be just fine. 
Yeah, unless you're Elder Bednar, then maybe, <laughs> maybe you should be worried about it. He, That's fine. When he takes over the raids, maybe, maybe. Just we'll kidding. we'll cheer for other things when that happens. Sports won't matter when that happens, but no, I think we'll be. I really think financially, other schools are hurting more than BYU. And what's who's to say it's not the the Christian thing to do to say you take the big bowl money? We'll be just fine in New Mexico. We <laughs> we don't need it. You know, not no. A big you're right. Deal. I mean, everybody is Utah. Utah furloughed their entire freaking athletic department for. Yeah. However long that was, I mean, they they've projected a huge shortfall. Everybody's that's not a reflection on BYU; it's a reflection on COVID right now because everybody is struggling financially. So, but other, but I mean, BYU probably does want that money though. It's not, I mean, oh, absolutely, eh. they, they do. I, I wouldn't turn down the money. And if we get the money, great. And then we'll chalk it up to a miracle and say, yeah, the BYU uh, was guided in their path to get all this money, and we'll say thank you. That was great. Give thanks. I don't know if that's the way this story unfolds. It, it might be, it might not be, but everybody needs money, and we are all value, equally valuable in God's eyes. Admiration or acceptance, do we want everybody to admire us and accept us and to say, yes, they're a great team? That will never happen. When you look at look at the premier programs that we just mentioned, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, when they're playing any other team in the country any other week, do you cheer for them? No. Nobody cheers for them. If BYU gets to that pinnacle where they are just the best, everybody will hate you. So it, yeah, it's it's, not, it's it's the nature of sports. There's no such yeah. thing as universal acceptance. You're you're an underdog that everyone cheers for, but then when you're no longer the under, underdog, they don't cheer for you. you know? Exactly. If you're, if you're all of a sudden winning a lot, then everyone hates you. The Kansas City Chiefs are going through this right now. They mm-hmm. were oh everyone's favorite team because they're they've been not great for a long time and they've got this fun young quarterback. Well, they won the Super Bowl last year. Now they're starting to dominate. Now people are starting to kind of peel back and not like them. You know, it's exactly just, it is what sports is, right? So if you're holding your breath saying, I need fans of every random school around the country to give me approval, give up on that. That will not happen. So you go through all that list. I think we're just fine. I'm not really mad. I was mad. I will admit, I don't let sport, sports get me mad very often, but I spent about an hour being mad about this yesterday before I kind of brought myself around and said, you know, things are just fine. And I'm not mad Plus, anymore. I mean, we're going to be okay. Part of it also, if, if you're honest, part of it also is you want to be successful because you want to jam it in your rival's face, right? You want to say, <laughs> look, you guys said independence wasn't working. You said, blah, blah, look at what we've done that you haven't done. Yeah, I guarantee you there's a host of BYU fans that have that ready to go if you make an NY6 or playoff, right? I, mean, I that's hope. just the nature of it. You want to do that, right? You do. You do want to do that. I do. But here's the thing. I hope everybody out there that follows me recognizes that so many of my tweets lately Not are tongue-in-cheek. you personally. Well, yeah. no, but here's the thing that I love doing. I love taking the narrative that has been crammed down our throats for five years, for however long. Yeah, probably the last five years. And just turning it around as a joke. I don't really and I feel saw, like I that. Saw, I saw your tweet today about, oh, it's a playoff thing. They wouldn't understand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because, hey, I am personally guilty of that last year saying that. Because yeah. we had been ranked so many years in a row. And, dude, the pro- that's why I saw it and I laughed. Because I, I know what it is. I know what it's about. It's just a freaking sport and it's just fun to tease your rival. But I'm sure there were plenty of you fans that are like, oh, that ale. How could we've been ranked 93 <laughs> weeks? You know, like I guarantee there are people like that. But where I saw it, I laughed because it's funny, man. If you can get to that point, oh, it's fun. I, yeah. I laughed at it. So, yeah. Uh, it's been, it, I honestly, I've I've blocked and uh, not just literally on social media, but in, in life in general, toxic rival fans don't reach me anymore. And it's a lot easier to say it's fun, you know. 
I hope BYU does better than Utah, but I don't want Utah to be like terrible. You know, a little, a little bit of, um, a little bit of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what's the, you know, like when Les Miles used to just ramble and they'd call it like his, uh, not, uh, I can't think of it. Dang it, where you're just kind of clarity comes out and you just kind of yeah an whatever. epiphany yeah yeah so all about me is like enlightenment you know, I, I used to be a yes i used to be a big time big time smack talker and i've toned it down quite a bit but even lately sometimes i'll say something like just making fun of BYU a little bit and now i get kind of worried like man i hope no one takes this serious you know <laughs> because i feel bad because i got a lot of friends that are BYU fans like today i tweeted just for fun like i don't even remember i don't remember something about Oh, no, it was the other day when BYU lost in USC in basketball. I was like, oh, look, they played a P5. And I said, I'm like, man, I hope – I thought of like five or six people I hope didn't read it because I didn't want them to yeah. take it serious because yeah. I was just playing around having fun with it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's the hard thing. And that's that's why – it's like I say, after a loss, nobody is like, oh, they're just joshing me. They're like – you know, people overreact to everything after a loss. And really, yesterday felt like a loss. Like I wasn't in the mood for a lot of stuff yesterday after being disrespected for a second straight week and being being ranked 13. <laughs> Here's what I love. I love that the players are uh, are feeding on that. I love that they uh, they feel disrespected. And man, I really hope. I think by tomorrow at this time we'll know. But I hope. And, and someone pointed out the equipment truck for BYU needs to be on the road now. And they chances are they are. And that's why rumors are kind of let out. You know, I would imagine for ESPN reasons and for whatever contract reasons they can't officially announce until within a couple days. But if the team knows, if they're practicing, if they're scouting them on film, they've got to have their truck on the road. I'd say a better than 50% chance this game happens, and, man, I can't wait. This is going to be so well, fun. It's got, in my opinion, it's got to be announced tomorrow or it's not happening because right. you're not playing on Sunday. You know, Other teams can do that where they delay a, game, a day in place. That's the fine not, print right here. <laughs> that's right. Any team, anytime, anywhere except Sunday. So except Sunday. If, if, it's, if it's Saturday – that's two days. Tomorrow is two days before Saturday. It ha- yeah. In my opinion, it has to be announced tomorrow. If it's not announced tomorrow, then I don't think it's happening. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, then you have to look logistically where is college game day going? Where are they going to move their equipment and their trucks and their everything? So I, I think the truck's in route. Uh, hopefully they don't get called back. Hopefully Liberty doesn't somehow find a way to miraculously and, and this sounds terrible to say so the stupid BYU sucks account was like BYU fans are cheering for people to have COVID this is what it's come to when I say hopefully <laughs> Liberty doesn't get better that's not that's me as a BYU fan saying what I want for BYU to happen I'm a healthcare provider I love health I provide health care I want everybody to live forever but that's not gonna happen you know I don't wish COVID on anybody but I can still yeah. say all that and want this game to happen right are you are you one of the three Nephites? Want everyone to live forever? <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, in some sense, yes. Yeah, so um, uh, that's funny though. But, but the thing is, you take you look at it, Liberty side. They're dude. They're probably going to do everything they can to play this game, even if they can barely get by, because they don't. How often does Liberty have a chance to have college game day in yeah. their game? You know, and this is a huge game for them. So it might they'll probably do everything they can to get by. But if it's too much, I mean, that's why. That's why I think tomorrow you'll know. Like, well, you'll have to know tomorrow. Is the, this know, is the we could know right now, bro. About it's, this year, it's the same thing about this podcast. They could be announcing it right now, but we have they no could, idea. They could be. We're we're offline because we're using our phones to talk to each other. Um, that, that's Liberty's in a tough position because yeah, that exposure. 
Like they're a religious school. They're trying to make a name for themselves. And really, they've done a tremendous job the last few years. They've been in the conversation where people are taking notice of who they are. But if you show up with no defensive coordinator and no starters on your defense going up against the number 14 team in the nation, you're going to get flat out embarrassed, which is kind of what uh, Kirk Herbstreet was alluding to when he's saying, I think teams are intentionally getting out of games that they don't want to be embarrassed by. Yes, if you can technically make it to this game, but you know you're going to be using your punter as a defensive tackle, or do you play the game still? Uh, I I would. I would because it's not like they're they're even it's not like they're even West Virginia where they'll have other opportunities. They may never have, seriously. They may never have another opportunity to have college game day again. Any exposure, like the old adage, any any exposure is good exposure to an extent. If you can go and say, "Hey, we on college game day and we're getting our butt kicked, but man, look at the year we've had. I bet they would. I don't know. I think they would. I would if I'd, I was Liberty. I think if you legit show up and you're because imagine here's what you don't want exposure is good, but imagine you can't even get like your guys in the correct defensive stance and there's 10 penalties in a row because they're learning the position in real time right in front of the like it could be truly embarrassing and disastrous. Like, I think there's yeah. honorable reasons to say, nope, we don't want this game. Yeah, I, I think if they reasonably can do it without, you know, obviously the extreme examples where a punter is playing quarterback or whatever, right. I think they should, they, they will. But I, I don't know. I guess we'll find out tomorrow, right? I mean, you sh- we should yeah. find out tomorrow. So We should be cool. doing episodes uh, did, every did, day. Did we? Yeah, we should. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, we, we make 25 grand an episode. So if we did that every day, that's, you know, 20, that's what's that a week? I'll just put this out there. Grand a week? I'll put this out there early. When when Jake and I are both retired and don't have regular business dealings during the day that occupy our times, we, we maybe will turn into a daily podcast. Like Mondays hey, will I'm be football, Tuesdays we'll talk uh, science, science. Wednesdays yeah. we'll go to food. religion. We can do food. Yeah, Man, I've been taking a lot of I've been taking a lot of master classes on cooking lately. I could talk about have food you? forever. I yeah. have to say I was really impressed with your Thanksgiving dinner. You cooked everything for Thanksgiving Dude, dinner. I did. Here's the thing, okay? A little background. My wife hates cooking. I love her. Bless her heart. She's amazing at everything, but she does not like to cook, and I understand. So about three years ago, I took over just cooking Sunday dinners. So yeah. during the week, I will plan something, like, really nice, like, get really good ingredients, like, take a lot of prep work, you know, like, sometimes days before, and cook a nice meal. This year, I was tasked with the entire Thanksgiving meal because of COVID. Usually, we go with my family where there's two or three turkeys and you know, 40, 50 people, but it was just my family. So I cooked literally everything down to the homemade grape juice, bro. Like nice. boiled those, like sifted it. Um, and it was, dude, it turned out, it turned out really good, you know, and I was pretty happy with it. So I've been doing, I've been taking, maybe people have seen the masterclass thing before. I don't know. It's, it's a website that they have professional, like soup, like, like legends in their industry. And one of them is Gordon Ramsay teaches the class. And it's so entertaining because his TV show, Hell's Kitchen, he's such a D-bag. I don't know if you've seen the show, but he's yeah, just a jerk. Yeah. But on this, he's kind and and, 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 and and relatable and just gives you all these tips. And it's so fun. So I've been, I've been uh, um, incorporating all these tips. And my wife's not very happy because every now and then I'll say, oh, I need that. And I'll log on to Amazon and buy a new <laughs> kitchen utensil. So like almost every day there's a new box coming with a new pan or a new sifting set or something. That he's yeah. he's using, and so I've 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 elevated. He calls it elevated. Bam, elevate your dish, literally. So he talks about elevating his dish. So I've elevated my cooking the last few weeks. So yes, back to a roundabout way. Wednesdays we'll talk cooking. Yeah, 
love it. That's awesome. I had mentioned to my wife, this this is my excuse, but I stand behind it. It's legit. I'm 6'2", and I do dentistry all day, so I'm sitting and I'm leaning. And if I come home and do the dishes or do any any meal prep, the kitchen counters are low enough that it just it hurts. It hurts my back. And so I've told hey, that's her. A good, that's a it, good out. I said, hey, if the day ever comes that we were depending on me to do the kitchen, to do the cooking, I would pay to remodel the kitchen and raise all the countertops by about 18 inches so I don't have to lean over on the kitchen countertops. And she just looked at me and said, we can do that now. <laughs> oh, nice. Like, Wait, that's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, you got out of your, you had your out. I can't, I'd, babe. The counters I'd, are too low. I'd you want me to do the dishes? The counters are... Well, I'd flip it on his head and she'd be like, oh, I can't reach the counters. You have to cook. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, all right, man. Well, any we didn't do a mailbag this week. We apologize. We had right? no, but no I knew I kind of intentionally didn't put it out there because I knew we had a full, I, we had a lot to say. But yeah, well, thank you to all of our listeners. I actually had a tweet ready to go. I was going to ask people for uh, their questions in like limerick form, but I, I didn't get around to it. But um, oh, okay. But we do appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate our programs. We appreciate our athletic directors. There is seriously so many things to be thankful for. Utah, I'm glad that you've been able to play football games. BYU, you're complaining about being ranked 13 in a thing where can you imagine a year ago if someone said you will be mad? I said not even a few weeks ago. I legit thought BYU was maybe between the 20th and the 25th best team in the country. This is an amazing thing to be mad about, and there's so many things to give thanks about. Yep, uh, you you take this every year. If you're mad about your low comp- playoff ranking, absolutely. And yeah. I I yearn for the day. And that's the thing is is I, I understand Utah's history. We're not a blue blood, but the last three or four years we've been in the mix in the playoffs every week, like literally every week. And it's I, I I was conditioned to it, and I miss it. I miss when they show the playoff commercial, seeing one clip of Utah, thinking, okay, awesome. Where are we going to be this week? And that is so fun. And I hope to hell that next year we're back to that. And I thought we would be, but again, it comes down to our quarterback, and and we won't know. So it'll be an off season of not knowing again. But I hope we are, and I, I feel like we will be at some point in the next couple of years. But anyway, Absolutely. well, I guess that's it, man. Everyone have a wonderful Christmas season, which has started. Uh, if you if you have anybody that you know that needs help and you you can help them do that give serve whatever the case is reach outward because that's that's how you find true fulfillment in life right yeah and reach out to us too I think I'm comfortable saying this on behalf of both of us that we're uh, we know philanthropists <laughs> we, I won't I won't say we are philanthropists but we have connections and uh, would love to get some philanthropy going. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm struggling with that word. We would love to help out somebody on behalf of North and Goal, so reach out to us. Okay. Um, Until then, go Utes. Go Cougs.